0: Awesome. Church, we are in the midst of our what-if series. We're asking ourselves some, some important questions. Remember last week we spoke about what if you could not lose? And I said I would play games with my son all the time if I couldn't lose because it seems like I always do lose. And so if I couldn't lose, that's what I'd really like to see is play a game against him and actually win. But more serious than that, We talked about how, funny enough, Ryan and Marita, we were talking about crossing the Jordan last week. And we talked about how um, the nation of Israel came to the River Jordan and they would have been faced by terrible river wrestles, you know, the, the discord and the disharmony and the difficulty that comes into our minds and into our hearts when we face obstacles. And yet how they overcame that by standing in the covenant, their covenant with Jesus, and taking that ark of the covenant and moving into the middle of that river and standing their ground. And that in light of the covenant we have with Jesus Christ, when we move forward into, a, into what we perceive as obstacles. Those obstacles must part. Those obstacles must give way to the call of God on us. And we talked about how they, they pushed into the revelation of Jesus Christ and they stood listening to the right voices and walked into their promised land. Today we, were, we are going to be talking about what if you were great? What if you were really the person you dreamed about being? What if you were already successful? What if the victory was already yours? So, Father, I pray as we begin this word, Lord God, that you would come and just arrest our hearts with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord God, I pray that today we would come to understand who we are in Christ Jesus, Lord God. Father God, I pray that you would help us to overcome self-doubt, insecurity, inadequacy, Lord God. Father God, I pray you'd help us to listen to the right voices, Lord God. I pray you'd help us to walk in the victory you have already given us. Father God, as I speak, I just ask for grace upon grace to share your word, your way. And all of God's people said amen and amen. So what if you were great? You remember from last week. Joshua and the entire nation of Israel walk across that raging river that was in flood at that time that would have been over a kilometer wide. We spoke about it in the book of Joshua. You can go and read it for yourselves. They get across this river, and the Bible tells us that um, now they have, uh, Joshua has this encounter with this mysterious man. They've all crossed the river, they're encamping on the other side, and Joshua, I guess to kind of free his mind from what's been going on, goes for a walk, and we read this passage in Joshua 5, 13, verse 15. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, "'Are you for us or for our enemies?' Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua 513 to 15. Now, I hope this kind of starts things ticking in your mind because it's very similar to a story that Moses experienced. You remember Moses before, well, when he got the commission to go and free the nation of Israel from slavery, he was walking out with the sheep and he found that bush that was burning and yet it wasn't burning up. And he had that encounter with the living God right there and in that, in that time, God said to him, take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. And at that moment, God revealed his covenant name to Moses. He said, Moses asked, who, who shall I say is sending me? And God answered, I am that I am. And in that moment... If we have to really examine it, and I'm going to speak a bit more in detail, so just hang on, just get this concept first and you'll get the details in a moment. But Moses was having an encounter with God that was causing him to understand who God was and understand who he was and what he was called to. It was an exceptionally identity-focused moment. You must remember now when, when Joshua begins to lead the nation of Israel, God said to, him, you said to him, you'll remember from Mike's message two weeks ago, God was saying that the same spirit and anointing that rested on Moses would now rest on jo- Joshua. Remember Moses took the nation of Israel through the Red Sea. You remember that? Spresh, stretched out his staff, parted the sea, spectacular walls of water on each side, walked through, drowned the Egyptian army behind them. Joshua comes to that Jordan, and he has a very similar experience. They walk through that um, expanse of water, and Israel says, yes, the same spirit that is on, that was on Moses, rests on Joshua. We can follow him like we followed Moses. But you see, the job wasn't done. Because Joshua, unlike Moses, Moses was born a free man, and he grew up in the courts of Egypt. Joshua wasn't born a free man. Joshua was born as a slave in the nation of Egypt, an Israelite as a slave in Egypt. All of Israel that is now encamped in their promised land, they've just crossed over the Jordan and the task of taking the land is before them. All of those people, except for two, were born free. There were only two who were not born free and that was Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua now has this immense task of leading a nation. But I promise you that his childhood, living in slavery, seeing the dysfunction, the abuse, growing up with broken families and the difficulties that they faced as slaves, would have done something in his heart. And I can guarantee you, as he stood there about to face the greatest challenges he ever would face, something is saying in his heart, You're not good enough. You can't do it. You don't belong here. This is not who you are. And then he goes for a walk, and like I said, maybe it was to clear his mind. And he meets a man, and the man has a drawn sword. I want you to understand this, that God had called Israel to take the entire land of Canaan, but not one of them had a single weapon. They would have left Egypt without any weapons, lots of gold and silver, but no weapons. They stood on the brink of war after war after war with no capacity to fight it. as Joshua sees this man with the drawn sword, he asks the very logical question, are you for our enemies or for you for us? What's so interesting is that as he has this encounter with this man, he falls on his face and he calls him, my Lord. We know that if this man had been an angel, He would have said to Joshua, don't call me my Lord, because I am a servant just like you. We know that, because that's what happened in the book of Revelation when John tried to worship an angel. So we know this, it wasn't an angel. Joshua was not encountering an angel. He was encountering a being that received worship. There is only one who receives worship from mankind. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Theologians studying this have said throughout the ages that Joshua, standing at the brink of the greatest challenges he would ever face, came face to face with the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. The commander of the Lord's armies. I have now come. And you know, whenever I read this, I just get goosebumps. I mean, it's just like, you know, what? It's not. There's not. There's nothing wishy-washy about Jesus' statement there. You know, he's not just. It's not like. He's not unsure about who he is. He's not like, uh, are we going to win? Are we going to? He's like. As the commander of the Lord's armies, I have now come. There's no question mark at the end of the statement, but it has got to be doing something in Joshua's heart right there. Because Jesus doesn't, as Jesus do, so often does, he doesn't answer Joshua's question. Because Joshua's question is completely irrelevant to the state of affairs. And Jesus cuts to the very center of everything and says, I Have now come that's all you need to know that's all you need to know so i want to start looking at the statement that joshua made or this question that joshua asked are you for us or are you for our enemies as i said Joshua is probably having to work through all these identity things in his mind. Who am I? Am I a slave? Am I a leader? Am I Moses' servant? Am I in charge? Am I not? Can I do this? And when he asks that question, are you for us or are you for our enemies? He is revealing a deep-seated wrong idea of how the kingdom operates. And remember last week we talked about river wrestles that they had before they crossed the river. I want to talk about Joshua's pauper paradigms. We all face them. How about that sense of inadequacy? Can I do it? Have I got what it takes to make this happen? How about that sense of anxiety? Will this work? Can I manage? I spoke last week how anxiety just makes your mind run. You know how it is, you go to bed at night, you're all very calm and happy, put your head on the pillow and sunny. bing! All those thoughts just start running. concept of us and them, that somehow there's an in-group and an out-group. There's us and there's them. Human beings who are living with pauper paradigms honestly believe this. They believe that some people are inferior to others. They believe that some people are with them and some people aren't with them. And and really, God's perspective is so different. In God's life, there is only one class of person, and that is his child. Some of them are home and some of them are not. But you know, Andrew and I never fight, but imagine we did Imagine we did. I know we would probably both be praying this, Lord, help him see it my way. Andrew would be praying, help her see it my way. And I wonder if God would not be saying what he's saying here. As the commander of the Lord's armies, I have now come. It's like it's not about who wins or loses. It's who is surrendered to me. And so much of what we experience as human beings is one human being trying to outdo the other. Yeah. Listen to me. That is only a viable state of affairs if there are limited resources in the kingdom. If there's only five rand going around and there are three of you who need to make a living out of that five rand, fight all you can to get it. But if there's... 10 trillion, I don't know, 10 to the 500,000 rand in a building, and there are five of you that need to make a living from that, why fight? You couldn't possibly use all that money. And our view of a a small God sets us up for conflict with one another because we honestly believe that in order for him to bless us, someone else has to be disadvantaged. And this is not true. God, Jesus Christ, as the commander of the Lord's armies, has now come. In other words, there are no more losers. How about feelings of failure? How about those senses of inferiority? I guarantee you, guarantee you, that Joshua, having grown up a slave, battled with feelings of inferiority. Everyone else he was leading was a born free. They'd never experienced slavery. They'd never known what it was to be whipped, degraded, humiliated, your future taken away from you. They had never known that. He's got to have battled. When they came and walked into the room and they just were sure that everyone loved them, and he was like, oh, I don't know how things are going to work. I remember all those times people hated me. There's got to have been a battle in his heart. Like, am I as good as these people? Can I lead them? How about Comparison. A secret I've learned over the years, there will always be someone more beautiful than you, richer than you, faster than you, and cleverer than you. It may not all be one person, but there will always be someone who can beat you in whatever area you're thinking of. And so how about we give up feeling like we need to be the top of the pile? How about we just let that go? And how about we just say, let me just be with Jesus. He is already the top of the pile, so let me be with him. I automatically get shot up to the top in that instant. Of course, the rest of the population also comes up with me, so comparison is not a thing that would ever work there. But the problem is, we are using the wrong measuring tape. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says this, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. because there will always be someone cleverer than you, smarter than you, prettier than you, faster than you, stronger than you, richer than you. And if your worth is based on that, you will live with constant feelings of inferiority and inadequacy. So if that's the wrong measuring tape, what's the right measuring tape? 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 17 says this, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Okay, so here's the thing. When God made you and when God made your neighbor, he had an idea in mind. There was an original design that he formed you to. When he looks at you, he doesn't see the failures, the, the wrong thinking, the... Weaknesses. he looks inside and sees his original design. He looks inside and he sees someone bought by the blood of Jesus. He sees someone capable, able to do all that he's called them to do because he put it in them. And our right measuring tape is to look in the eyes of our loving Father and see reflected there his idea of who we are. To hear his voice speak deep into our soul, you belong, you're mine, you're able, you have what it takes. Just follow me, stay with me, step by step, we'll do this. Hear him say you're beautiful, hear him say you're strong, hear him say you thrill me. Hear him say you wear Jesus well. going back to Moses' encounter in a similar place with the burning bush, Moses asked God this very interesting question. He said, who am I that I can lead Israel out of Egypt? God, again, just seems to bypass the question, and he answers this. He doesn't tell him who he is in classic sense. He says this, I will be with you. That's God's answer. Moses says, who am I? God says, I will be with you. And I want to propose to you that if you had to say to God, who am I? He will say this, I will be with you. That who he's made you to be is incomplete without him anyway. And so in order for you to be you, you must be with him. And then we had that profound statement that God made that I spoke of earlier, God pronouncing who He is by saying, I am that I am. What I just love about this is, you know what, I know I've said this before, and if you've done hearing God's voice, you will have heard this, but if I were going to invent a name for myself, seriously, it would not be I am that I am. That's just weird, you know, it just says nothing, it's just like, what is that? What is that? You know, if I were God and wanted a name, I would be like Almighty Glorious One or something. Like, I don't know, it would, it would be something else that I am that I am. It's just, it's just strange. It's not even grammatically correct. You know, it's just like, what is it? But God chose it as his covenant name. This was the most holy name that Israel were even too scared to say because it evoked such power and just majesty. And really, what God was saying is that I cannot be defined by anything. I cannot name myself by virtue of anything created. Because I am, you are. Because I am, trees are. Because I am, the world is. I am that I am. I am self-existent. I uh, do not owe my existence to anything, And I am not defined by anything. In turn, I define everything. And now both these times, Moses and Joshua, when they come to God like this, he says to them, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. Take off your shoes, this is holy ground. I want to propose something to you, that your identity and God's identity is holy ground. I want to propose this to you, that you do not even have the right to identify yourself. That God reserves the right to tell you who you are. This is, he has, he, this is holy ground. This does not belong to you. This is mine. Who you are is determined by me, not by your experiences, not by what your parents told you, not by what the world tells you. You are who I say you are. You didn't choose your gender. You didn't choose your nationality. You didn't choose your personality. You didn't choose your genetic makeup. You didn't choose your skills and talents. I propose this to you that you even you do not have a right to determine who you are. But I want to propose this to you who you are is so much better than you've ever 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 imagined. And the creator of the universe is so good that he cannot create anything other than that which exemplifies, shows off His glory and His majesty. And part of our growth in Christ is to realize who we are and to surrender, to fall on our face and answer, Lord, what is your message for me? Just as Joshua did. The correct response to an encounter with God is to fall on your face and say, what is your message for me? It's not a demand, Lord, make me richer, make me faster, make me more powerful, make me get the right wife, make me get the right husband. That's not the correct response to God saying, you are my beloved, delightful, incredible child of God, filled with all the glory of my presence. That, the correct response to that is to fall on your face and say, what message do you have for me? In other words, what did you create me for? How must I fulfill the design that you have made in me? The statement that Jesus says as commander of the Lord's armies, I have now come. (laughs) How many of you watched um, Batman versus Superman? I don't know why. I mean, it's just like, uh, what was that movie? It just didn't, even from the start, it didn't make sense. It just didn't make sense. I mean, Superman is like got superpowers. Batman just has a cape. I mean, it's just like, what? What? Oh, he's got money. Yeah, yeah, saying he's got money. (laughs) I said last week that we sometimes think about. our time on Earth as being this kind of cosmic battle between good and evil, and that we have to kind of choose a side. Well, you we do get to choose a side, but but here's the thing: that, like I said last week, there is no battle between good and evil. There is, there, it's not, it's not even existent. Basically, the devil's just trying very hard to stay out of God's way and just not be caught in the blast of His nostrils. There is no contest. Absolutely no contest. And what I, what I just love about Jesus' statement is, as the commander of the Lord's armies, I have now come. Like I said, there's no question mark in the end of that, but the question mark hangs so poignantly in our hearts, and it says this, so whose side are you on? Basically, Jesus said, you know, I'm not, I'm not choosing sides between you and your enemies. I have now come to bring the victory that I want to bring. Whose side are you on, Joshua? Your own agenda or my agenda? Here's the amazing thing is that God is going to win. You know, he's already won. It's like I said, there's no contest. God, this world belongs to him. It's, it's, not, it's not like up for grabs, his victory is assured. He's he's god. You understand that? I mean he just blinks and worlds are made. He just sniffs and worlds are gone. I don't know. I While I was re- preparing the sermon, I just remembered this time and it was just really uh, brought so much joy to my heart. I remember one time sitting in the kitchen with my dad. I must have been about eight or nine, I guess. And in those days, we still listened to like square radios with aerials on the top and dials and things. And so I know it sounds like I was from another age, but yes, there, there was a time when we had those things. And he, he had it, this. it wasn't working, and he had it on the kitchen table and he had it all apart and he was fixing it. And I was sitting next to him fascinated by all the wires and the dials and everything. And, and so he was talking to me as he was doing it, and I said to him, can I help you, Dad? And he got this huge smile on his face. He said, yes. And he handed me this tiny little screw, and he said, hold that. <laughs> yeah. And I held this little screw, and he went and he did the thing, fixed the whole radio, put it all back together, and the final screw, like to, to like, hold the back on to the radio so that the innards weren't showing. He said, okay, Ka, can I have the screw? He ga- I gave him the screw, he put it in, and it was fixed. You know, it was all back together. And then he turns to my mom and he he says, Lynn, as he called my mom, can I fix the radio? (laughs) And I I held that screw so deep. You know what I'm saying? I just didn't put it down. I just watched it, just waiting for the moment. He would tell me that he needed the screw. Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross. He paid for your sin. He went down to the depths of hell. He rescued those who were lost. He, he, uh, he came and he destroyed the works of the enemy. He obliterated every obstacle between you and God. And we said, can we help, Lord? He said, yes, hold the screw. And that screw is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And as he's done all this thing and he's putting it all together, he says, church, put in your screw. Now it's your time. Whose side are you on? 2 Kings 6.17, very fascinating story. There's a prophet in Israel by the name of Elisha. I won't bore you with the details, although they're not very boring. They Actually, it's one of the most fascinating stories you'll ever read. So go ahead and read it. But he's sitting at home, and the enemies' um, armies are camped around him. They want to kill him because he is thwarting their plans. And his servant with him is trembling in his boots and saying, we will never make it. Oh no, we're we doomed. And Elisha the, that scripture says, Elisha prayed and asked the Lord to open the eyes of his servant. And immediately the eyes of his servant were open, And he could see chariots and horses of fire surrounding Elisha. And that statement goes, more are those who are with us than those who are with him. As the commander of the Lord's armies, I have now. Jesus stands in your life and over your family. He is saying, as the commander of the Lord's armies, I have now come. And if you could just open your eyes, you would see legions and legions of um, angels, of chariots of fire, of of horses of fire, of the armies and the defense and the glory of God surrounding you. And as we Submit and comply to his mission in our lives as we agree with his identity of who we are and who he is. All of that is brought to bear. And the victory that has already been won 2,000 years ago, Jesus says to you and me, put your screw in now. So what message do we carry? Remember, Joshua fell down on his face and he says, what message do you have for me? The scripture that I read to you right at the beginning doesn't actually tell the message that Jesus gave to Joshua, but we learn about it in the next chapter, and that was the strategy to take Jericho. And the strategy was that they were to walk around the city for six days in silence. And then on the seventh day, they were to put their little screw in. Because as the commander of the Lord's army, armies, Jesus had angels posted on every stone, on every rock of that wall of Jericho. And on the seventh day, when they walked around, they were to all shout, and the priests were to blow their trumpets, and immediately the walls of Jericho fell down. I can just see those angels holding onto those rocks and watching Jesus when do we do it? When do we do it? And Jesus is going, wait, wait, you'll hear their shout. Wait, wait, you'll hear their shout. <laughs> and the minute they shouted, those angels grabbed those stones and threw the wall down and the whole city fell. And an army with not one weapon, only submission and obedience to a God who loved them more than anything, conquered a fortified city. Filled with weapons and warriors. Because the message you carry demolishes strongholds. It obliterates obstacles. It sets captives free. And it comes with power. You carry a message. Jesus is speaking into your heart a message. And as you submit, follow, surrender to him. And live not for your own glory but for the fulfillment of that message. Of that mission. The walls around you will fall. Your your families will submit to Jesus. The, The life and presence of God will come into every area of your lives. Because this is holy ground. You are not who the world says you are. You are who God says you are. And his goodness so far beyond our comprehension tells us that who we are is so much better than we ever, ever imagined. And we have what it takes, not because we're strong, but because He is with us. We carry a message that says to the world, there is a God who loves you, who was unwilling to leave you away from him he came and found you even when you were not looking for him he was willing to sacrifice everything so that you could be with him He was willing to die the most excruciating death so that all the harm and pain that you have caused would be washed away. He was willing to hang on a cross naked and ashamed so that you would never have to be ashamed again. He clothed you when you were naked. He fed you when you were hungry. He washed your wounds. He took away your shame. He delivered you. And we carry a message. We carry a message that they never have to be alone again. They never have to be afraid again. They never have to be ashamed again because there's a God who created them for a purpose. Amen. Amen. You are with Jesus, therefore you are great. And the message you carry obliterates the enemy's strongholds. So Father, we come to you and we want to pray and ask. Father God, we want to be, we want to have the same response as Joshua to just fall on our faces and say, What is the message you have for us, Lord God? Speak to our hearts, tell us what we need to know. Empower us to do what we are called to do, Lord God. Restate who we are in you, that we would feel the fire of your presence inside of us and we would know that we are we are your strong, mighty ones. Not because We are wise and fantastic, but because you live inside of us. Father God, I ask and urge each person here, I would feel the fire of your presence coursing through their veins. They would feel the commendation of heaven. You belong to me. They would feel the life and the presence of the almighty God, and they would know that victory is theirs. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you. And in this place, I want to ask, if there's anyone here, and if you have to be honest with yourself, your relationship with God has meant or has been founded on, what can God do for me? And if you're honest about it, you have to say, there wasn't really a time I surrendered to God. There, There was a time when I just asked Him to to make things good for me, and there's nothing wrong for the, wrong with that. But I feel like God wants to go a bit deeper in your hearts, and I feel like He wants to He wants to say, "Put Jesus first, and everything else falls into place." And I feel like there are some of you here that you know that you need to make a commitment to surrender all of your life to God's purposes. To say that it's no longer about me trying to make my life right, but I, I need Jesus to come and take over. And if that's you, I'm going to ask if you would raise your hand because I would like to pray for you. There we go. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? They would like. Thank you. Anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask those of you who raised your hands, if you wouldn't mind just grabbing your stuff and as a sign of your commitment to this, won't you just come and stand up here with me? I would like to lay hands on you. So if that's you, just don't be afraid. This is a place that everyone is excited about what you're doing. Come on up, just grab your stuff and come up here. This is you saying, I'm not ashamed to be associated with Jesus. Amen. You can just face me here. Let's just wait for everyone to come. Guys, can we just all pray this together? Church, can you pray it out loud with them? Can we just pray this? Lord Jesus, once again, I come and surrender my life to you. Lord God, I repent and turn away from living my life for myself. Lord God, I ask that you would be my Lord and my Savior. Lord God, take over. Be in charge. I surrender and I submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.